Hello, and welcome to Marking Out with My Girlfriend. This is my girlfriend, Erin. This is my bitch cat. Sometimes Erin says things that they know will make me feel things before we get started with the episode, and then I have to fight through a headspace. We're a little bit late today because we've already watched Rampage. <laughs> yeah, Rampage was on at our normal start time this week. I swear, the Bucks noticed we're starting to get back into a normal schedule with this, mm -hmm. and they just wanted to fuck with us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, Matt, Nick, I, I know you're watching right now because the fucking show just ended. Um, good job. Uh, I look forward to seeing more of you, but also fuck you. <laughs> also, also, good, good, good job getting the knife pervert. Yeah, um, we are a big fan of the knife pervert. I I also liked when Greg called him a knife pervert. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was time for the main event. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um. So, what do we want to talk about first? You want to talk about the made-up title that I have bequeathed onto myself? <laughs> sure. Let's start with something like that. That's a perfect thing to start with. <laughs> I have no idea. Oh, okay. So the reason this came up is because AEW announced that there would be a another dog collar match this time between CM Punk and yeah, MJF. The prop, the prop they got this time was not as nice as the one for Cody and Brody Lee. Much cheaper. The prop that they got this time looked like it was a Hot Topic collar, a fashion collar, rather than a heavy play collar like they had for Cody and Brody. Yeah, like, to quote uh, Adam Cleary from What Culture Wrestling, you could just snap that chain with nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't ask how he knows that, apparently. <laughs> People are allowed to be perverts. If Jay White is allowed on my television as a knife pervert, and Adam Cleary from What Culture can have experience with breaking chains during intimate times with partners, paramours, or um, passersby. That's pretty good alliteration, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm actually Cleary pretty fucks just saying. <laughs> I mean, that's what all the awards round is better for. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and then there were a couple of jokes about whether it was a pup collar match or a dog collar match, blah, blah, blah. Fast mm -hmm. forward to Thursday morning. I tweet some dumb shit like, um, when are they going to have a Lucha de Apuestas where the loser has to wear a pup hood? And then I went into Affinity Designer and I made the belt you see here. <laughs> For the listeners, you can find it on my Twitter. And then I 
decided to award it to myself because I am a good girl and I deserve it. And that's what bad bookers do. I'm <laughs> not the booker. <laughs> Maybe I am. Hmm. You are the one who approved the match. Okay, but it's like the FTW title, right? Taz gave it to himself. Okay. So <laughs> he wasn't the booker, he's just the one who bought it. Yeah. <laughs> that, so, that's entirely fair. Apparently, Aaron and I are going to have a match for this title next weekend. Uh, yeah. And as I'm sure the listening and viewing audience knows, Aaron has a terminal case of tap outitis. This is where Aaron says, You bit me, or you bit my toe. Who bites a toe? <laughs> I'm gonna wear fucking shoes for this. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna spin on the street. We're gonna horribly confuse Emma's neighbors. <laughs> and, uh,. <laughs> What else was there? Uh -huh. And then I challenged you for it. Right, I right. Just, I just wanted to get into a wrestling match again. Mm -hmm. And then I cut a promo on you, which you can also find on my Twitter. And yep. then um, here we are, live streaming. Still <laughs> in the makeup that I did for the promo. It's almost like you did that two hours ago, and yeah. then we watched an hour of wrestling. <laughs> um, I don't have the teeth in, because I was eating, and it's impossible to eat with those teeth in, and I don't feel like getting up to go get them. But I have been told that I do need to learn how to talk with the teeth in. Or you just have a lisp when you have them in. Eh. Either way. I mean, there's a reason Gangrel doesn't talk, right? Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> so, Aaron. So, Kat. Do we want to talk about the bleach blonde elephant in the room? <laughs> Yeah, that is because that happened story this from... week. Yeah, this was like Tuesday. I think it was Tuesday morning, like ten thirty in the morning. Wrestling Twitter was like, "Yeah, no, Raw was a thing last night. Cool. What's coming up this weekend?" And then Cody's like, "By the way, I quit." <laughs> I mean, yes, that's a succinct way of putting it. <laughs> Cody and AEW could not reach terms on a contract. Mm-hmm. Which, as things came out this week of, like, it makes some sense from Cody's point of view, where he's seen Danielson, CM Punk, these bigger guys, well, not really, eh, kind of bigger, these other guys getting, like, big contracts to lure them into AEW. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, I was a huge draw throughout the pandemic. But TK has to start watching his spending. Like, they've already said that they're not hiring as many people. Yeah, and, you know, that's that's reasonable, right? Like, it's it's a 
young company, they need to be careful with their money so that they can build a, like, a foundation for a long and prosperous future, right? Yeah, like, I've said it before, Tony Khan has unlimited money. AEW does not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> AEW has a budget. Yeah. And the thing... Oh god, Aitsu, no. Aitsu, that, that's bad. Cody <laughs> mm, jettisoned himself. I'm just gonna... <sighs> oh. Mm. <laughs> It still shows up because I have the mod view. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> so that that's like, it, it is literally just symbolic. Yep. <laughs> um. So yeah, it, it came out pretty quickly that Cody, Cody and Brandy both left. No real ill will between them and the company. Right. And Cody is going directly to WWE. Going directly to Saudi Arabia. Do not pass Poland. Do not collect $200. As in photographed in an airport today, possibly going to Saudi Arabia for the show tomorrow night. Because <laughs> they're doing a limitation chamber there this weekend. Mm -hmm. Fun. I, I kind of want to see if they bring him out, like, immediately. Mm -hmm. I don't want to give WWE money. Especially for a Saudi Arabia show. Maybe I'll just watch a live stream reaction of it. Right. Like, I just, I, I like, I, I, it'll, it'll probably be, there'll be highlights on YouTube and stuff, right? Oh, yeah. Until they get pulled down, but yes. It's just like, it seems odd to me that Cody would so immediately go back. They had to have paid him, like, seven figures. At least. It's WWE. They have unlimited money. They could, yeah. Like, I, I was hearing people speculate, and, like, this is completely, you know, like, reached back and pulled it out of their ass, saying, like, potentially eight figures per year. Because... Mm, I find that one hard to believe. Yeah, but at the same time, like, obviously, it they're if not going to pay him figures. more than Roman. But the the thing to me is the, the triumph of snatching away an EVP from AEW to, like, um, I don't have the context for the Monday Night Wars, but, like, sniping someone... Generally, like particularly if it's not in the direction that things usually flow. Yeah. It, for WWE in the past, has been a sign of their imminent victory. Yeah, like, even with the Wednesday Night Wars, where we've seen people leaving or being let go from WWE and going to, w going to AEW, like, Malachi Black... Like Danielson, mm -hmm. oh Danielson, <laughs> like Mox left of his own accord, right? Like yeah, that's why I said leave or being let go. Yeah, 
you have these big names going to your direct competition. So when you get the chance, like, I can see seven figures. Mm -hmm. I can see that seven figures starting with a five. I don't know if I see eight figures. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I see those numbers as being what, whatever, whatever Cody is getting. Mm -hmm. Good for him. It's clearly more than AEW was going to pay him. Yep. And now the I just hope that it turns out different from last time. There is one other interesting note here. In that Cody said last year that he was looking to start a political career at some point. Mm -hmm. And going to WWE, you have Linda McMahon there, who was an elected official. And so, no, she never won. She was an appointed right, official. Appointed. In, she was the head of the Small which, Business Administration. Which is even better for people like that. Under former under, President uh, Donald Trump. So you have someone in the company with relevant and up-to-date contacts. Yes, I would argue that you also have someone who works with the company closely and is actually capable of winning a political campaign. Current mayor of Knox County, Dr. Isaac Yankum, DDS. Cody's not going to want to do mayor for anything. He's wanna, he wants to go right to federal. That's been, like, his MO in everything else. I mean, like... I think it would be interest. I mean, if if I'm if I am Cody trying to run for political office, like mayor of a small mayor of a fairly significant city is not a small feat, right? Like. Mm -hmm. The mayor right. of Knox County is in charge of all of Knoxville, Tennessee. Yeah. You should talk Which... with Jesse Ventura then. Only if you want conspiracy theories. Yeah. It's the third most populous county in Tennessee. So, I mean, like, it's 400,000... 478,000 people. It's not exactly huge. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's the city of Knoxville and then, like... South Knoxville, North Knoxville, and suburbs. And they all have one mayor. Yeah. Having been in those parts of Tennessee, I don't know that it's a super prestigious political office to hold. <laughs> but you know, Kane, he's really holding it together. I mean, like, you're almost better off running for political office in Bristol. At least they have a fucking good super speedway there. <laughs> True. We drove past... When, tourism. When my brother and I were driving home on Thanksgiving from my parents, who were, like, basically, uh, I want to say, like, not even anywhere 
reasonably close. And they were like halfway between Asheville and Knoxville. Mm-hmm. It's basically like a straight shot up to Bristol. We drove past okay. that, and there's nothing in that town other than the speedway. Oh yeah. It's like right off the highway, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right off of 81. It's a it's a neat kind of like area because you're basically in this little like part where three states kind of jigsaw together and you're hitting the one part of Virginia that touches Tennessee the one part of Tennessee that touches Virginia obviously vice versa and then like the way far west of South of North Carolina where you're practically in South Carolina. It's like <laughs> such a weird I don't think I would go back there. No offense to anyone from that area. I was skeptical of every time we stopped for gas. And yeah. Like with no intended braggadociousness like I don't really get mistaken for anything other than how I present myself ever like people don't really like I don't get misgendered by strangers or anything like that like and I still felt weird about it yeah so, I don't know. It's a scary place down there. Not that it's that much better here, but, like, you know, at least New Jersey's not trying to pass laws that prevent me from existing. In fact, New Jersey just recently made it such that you no longer have to publish your name in the newspaper if you're getting your name changed for trans reasons. Yay! So it just became about $150 less expensive. Which is pretty significant. Ontario is kind of weird about that. Yeah? It's like, when you do any name change, you have to get your name published. Mm -hmm. But they have a specific online newspaper that publishes them. So you don't have to worry about it otherwise. <laughs> it's... So weird. But, like, there's an online repository of you having changed your name. Yeah. Gross. Like, I actually went through and found it to see if it was real. It's, it's such a... Like I, 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 like, I understand when it's... It is just... It's... Culturally, it speaks to an inherent distrust... Of mm -hmm. trans people that I think builds into this, it builds into not like that it is the first step, but that it fits in as a piece of the pyramid of things that alter public perception of trans people such that we are 
considered by a lot of the public to be untrustworthy or yeah. duplicitous. And it is... It, 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 because the whole reason why you have to publish a name change notice is to prove that you're not trying to commit fraud so your creditors can find you under the new name. Yep. But, like... Like you, Aaron, you have a social insurance number. Yeah, I'm not hard to find. I have a social security number. It's not like the debt is just gonna... Whatever debt we might have is gonna disappear because we've changed our name. It's not like the fucking 1700s anymore. Like, the government doesn't give a shit what you call yourself. The government cares what your number is. The federal government care about doesn't your care number. how you identify yourself. Like, okay, this is a story. When I got my redone birth certificate, I fucked up one box. So the sex is not listed on it. Right. And it caused a bunch of a pain in the ass with the Ontario government trying to get mm -hmm. my license updated. So if my license says X, which worked out actually, yeah. so... Fuck me, I guess. <laughs> but uh, I went... You're gonna have to wait, like, a week. Okay, but I'm holding you to that. Uh, and also, it's probably not gonna be me, because I don't top. <laughs> I'm, I'm holding Emma to that, then? I'll bring the loom. <laughs> okay! <laughs> so I know As I was saying... <laughs> but I went to the Service Canada desk and it's like this is what i have to do mm -hmm. this is what got screwed up how can i fix it and they're like just put whatever we don't fucking care mm -hmm. and then i went to do my passport and like just put whatever it's one of those things where like you are a barcode at most to the government mm -hmm. like there shouldn't be so much to do about changing your name anymore because it's so easy to track someone via social security, social insurance numbers and stuff like that. Like, it, it, yeah. the state knows it. The My fucking landlord knows it. Like, My boss knows it. The one who files all my taxes. <laughs> Twitch knows it. Yep. Uh... Itch.io knows it because I get 1099s from all of them and they have yep. to file 1099s so they have to know my social security number. Like, I am that to every federal agency. Mm -hmm. And I don't see why it's such a big deal to change your name. That was a sidebar. <laughs> Aaron, <laughs> we were talking about Cody. Yes, we were, but would it be us? If we didn't get distracted for five minutes at a time? If we didn't get completely off-topic? Welcome to the ADHD Wrestling Podcast. Not me, just her. Aaron, you have ADHD too, don't even... Don't, don't fucking <laughs> lie. Um... <laughs> Moki says, I was worried when I heard my last name changes is going to be seen by a particular individual, they'd attempt contact again. Yeah, I mean, like, there, there's just a lot of, like, 
if you're doing things for safety or if you're doing things for like it it, it leaves you in a very vulnerable position mm -hmm. for stalking and harassment and i don't think it should be like it shouldn't be a big deal to change your name and in certain situations it's not if you're a woman and gets married you could just assume the name I just have to send a form to the DMV and a form yeah. to uh, the state and a form to the IRS and I'm good yeah. to go so you can start signing up for credit cards with the new name mm -hmm. and they're all legal <sighs> I wonder if I should do that before I move. Eh? eh? I'll... I would worry about the move more. Yeah, you know, like, it, it, at, the, at the end of the day, what I use publicly and professionally doesn't need to be my legal surname. Yeah. It's not that hard to get changed. Like, it may be fucking day or two of work. So. Cody. Cody. Tylenol and codeine. <laughs> the adrenaline in my soul. Percocets. Okay, so, yeah, we had talked about Cody for a little bit. Um, do you want me to just read this essay? Do you want me to... However you want to go about it. I'm going to give you the floor. Okay, because I wrote, like, let's see. Control, shift, C. Wrote, like, 1,200 words. <laughs> about Cody. <laughs> so I we, we we kind of talked about how I open things up. Um first of all the title of this essay is Our American Nightmare, a Cody Rhodes AEW postmortem. Uh this is a fun joke because our American cousin was the play that Abraham Lincoln went to see when he got assassinated. <laughs> So I did name that intentionally. Um, so we talked about the them not reaching an agreement after six weeks of negotiation. And, like, I think a big thing that this stems from is Cody and TK having different ideas of where they belong in the roster. Right? Like... Cody was looking for top guy money. And 2022 Cody was not that guy. 2019 and 2020 Cody, absolutely that guy. I would argue Cody was that guy probably until the end of his first TNT title reign. Like, I think him winning the TNT title and, like, doing the open challenge and basically working as, like, a 
talent scout for AEW in doing so was huge. And I think if you had negotiated the contract then, things would be different. If you had negotiated the contract at the end of that MJF match, things would be very different. Cody was the hottest guy in AEW when that happened. That was February of 2020, for the record. Uh, it... And, like, it, everything leading up to that, just red hot, white hot, great action. And then Cody got a neck tattoo. And he wrestled on a 48-hour-old neck tattoo. And that's where he started to lose me. Because, A, that's how you get hepatitis. And, B, that's bad tattoo care. Which, like, ew. Maybe I kind of wanted the ink to reject on that tattoo a little bit because it looks fucking ugly. Yeah. Even healed, like... So, like, basically, I have two major salient points for where the wheels came off the Cody wagon. Let's start with part one. The Nightmare. Part two is the American, for the record. Because I think you need the Nightmare before you get the American. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So, obviously, by all accounts, having watched him for years, Cody is an incredibly talented professional wrestler. He works heel and face really well. He's impeccable at putting other wrestlers over. Like, we talk about Jericho's ability to get people over, right? Like, I think Jericho's ability to get people over largely relies on, um, oh god, itch. Jericho's ability to get people over relies on feuds, talking, and, you know, Jericho screaming into a microphone about something or other. Yeah. He, he definitely gets the crowd worked up so anyone against him gets cheered. Right. If he's working heel. Yes. Cody has a uncanny ability to make whoever he wrestles against look phenomenal. When he wrestled against Sonny Kiss, that was such a phenomenal match. Ricky Starks got signed because of the match that he had with Cody. Eddie Kingston got signed because of the match he had with Cody. Warhorse got on TV to have a banger of a match with Cody. Like, there's just lots and lots and lots of little things that show that Cody is phenomenal at putting people over in a way that still makes himself shine when he wants to do that. That TNT title run is a perfect example of that. He made Brody Lee in in those matches look like someone who was a main eventer at a at WWE, not main evented once and only by the grace of his own hard work. To be honest, Brody Lee deserved a lot better from WWE. And, like, Cody made the TNT title 
look like it meant something, as opposed to just being another TV title that they put on mid-carters. But, like, even through all that, it became apparent that the way Cody carried himself and the kinds of connections and relationship he had with the industry, it was apparent that he was, in his own words, the son of a son of a plumber. Right? He he knows all this. He's a talented wrestler in the ways that he is because he's been wrestling for so goddamn long because he's had wrestling on TV for so goddamn long. Like, if you put Cody versus Eddie Kingston up against one another, right? Like, someone tweeted, and this was partly what inspired me starting to think about this essay, that Eddie Kingston is the closest thing we have to Dusty Rhodes today. Yeah. Yep. Because Cody is, um, in terms of character work and in-ring ability and everything like that, rather than um, personal ethics and behavior, Cody is in effect, Ric Flair. He's pageantry, he's, you know, the bleach blonde hair, he's the spray tan, like, I mean, like, not so promiscuous and everything like that, but, like, Cody is someone who, in terms of wrestling, was born on second base. And... That's so very counter to who Dusty was. Right? Like, he was... He was the first to admit... You know, maybe his belly was too big, or his hiney was too big. <laughs> but... He worked his ass off, and he earned his place in the wrestling world. And he earned the money that he then aggressively spent. Um... <laughs> Yep. <laughs> he earned the name American Dream because he built himself up from nothing to become a success in the way that the American Dream is sold to everyone. Mm -hmm. In a way that's inaccessible to a lot of people. Most people. And he coming from modest means, made himself an internationally recognized talent as a booker and in-ring. He was someone who knew what it was like to struggle, he knew what it was like to fight to break into an industry that doesn't want you, because wrestling didn't want someone who looked like Dusty. I, in, as I, as I wrote verbatim, he very notably knew hard times, Daddy. <laughs> yes, yes, he did. Uh, so, I, I, like, as I said previously, giving the caveat, I'm talking about Cody Rhodes the character, not Cody Runnels the man, who, by all accounts and everything that I have heard about him, 
is someone who is going to be the first person to come to you when you need to come to you when you need help, even if you haven't asked for it. He, Cody the man, is the person who, when Brody Lee died, along with Big E, was the person that Amanda Huber trusted to break the news to her kids. Yeah. And, like, that is, to me, the mark of who Cody, Cody Runnels, the human being, really is. Like, whatever these stupid reports about Cody being a loner are, that sounds like bullshit, because everything I've ever heard about Cody says he's the first person to greet you when you come to the locker room and say, hey, congrats, let me know if you need anything. You know, and that... like, go ahead. Even if the reports are true, like the end of his AW run, him and Brandy were more isolated. Like that just kind of happens as you hit that point in in that setting. That's how you know it's time to move on. I'm also gonna raise my hand and make a point that they have a newborn. Like they're raising a kid together. And if they were isolated over those last couple of months, it's because they're raising a fucking kid together, and they're tired. Like, it, you're not going to be your most sociable, you're not going to be your best when you are kept up at night every single night by a crying baby who hasn't figured out how to sleep yet. Like, I, I saw, um... James D'Amato kind of not quite lamenting, but just remarking on how he's had to say no to projects because of Project Falcon, which is the code name for his and his spouse's kid. Um, mm -hmm. Just like having to say no to things that you would have done otherwise because you're just so goddamn exhausted. And that's a huge adjustment. And if Cody and Brandy were using the opportunity to take naps and get some sleep in and, you know, do whatever, I'd get that. They just had a fucking kid. I'm not going- that there- whatever- whatever truth there was in those reports, however stretched and misstated, I don't think it is worth criticizing Cody over something like that. Again, Months after his wife just gave birth, there is a fucking less than one year old child in their lives. <laughs> and things are not easy during that time. So, all those caveats aside, Cody Rhodes, the character, is... Like I said, he is a little bit of a Ric Flair type. He's got connections. He's he's got money. He's got you know the he's got the fame that he really in some respects didn't earn. Character wise, I think Cody actually has done a lot of good for wrestling as a whole and earned the fame and recognition and money that he makes. But he has advantages that. Dusty didn't. Mm -hmm. You know, he's got 
training and everything like that. Industry contacts. I wrote exactly. He has his father's name, his father's industry contacts, and despite Dusty's notorious spending habits, his father's money. In effect, Cody is the person who put Dusty in the hard times that he mentioned in that promo. Right? That very, very famous promo. He's, you know, he's the man in a lot of respects. Not in the Becky Lynch respect, but... <laughs> uh, he's the American Nightmare. Mm-hmm. He is the dream turned sour. Right? He's where the American dream is building yourself up to be successful and, you know, making something of yourself, air quotes. The American nightmare is the entitled multi-generational wealth kid who gets everything that someone else had to strive for handed to them. The legacies at UPenn or at Harvard or at Yale or whatever, you know, the doesn't come out of college with massive amounts of student loan debt, gets a job at the company that his daddy owns. <laughs> that's, that's the nightmare, right? Like, the American dream is the ability to pull yourself up. And the American Nightmare is the fact that that opportunity is gone for everyone but the people who already started at the top. Yeah. And they never, ever touched that. They have him named the American Nightmare. And they did nothing with it. They could have very readily drawn these comparisons to Dusty that... Like, played on the way that Cody has those things that his father didn't. Has those things that put him ahead of the game. And, you know, like, base Cody uses the, the opportunity and the clout and everything that he has to pull other people up. But imagine if you truly booked the American Nightmare as someone who pulls the ladder up without other people on it. You know, pulls the ladder up behind him so other people can't climb up. You have this really brilliant contrast between these two really phenomenal titans of the industry who happen to be father and son. You could do so much with that that's so completely fascinating. And instead, we got this steadfast refusal to turn. Yeah, I think we'll talk about this in the American part, but the fact that the nightmare never realized is, I think, one of the things that started to lose the audiences, right? Like, you know, the nightmare factory and everything like that. Like, what, that nothing was nightmarish about it. 
the closest thing we got to a nightmare from them was the nightmare family. And that was only because it was just a bad stable, and that's why it was a nightmare. <laughs> oh, I, I'm still upset that they didn't get that right. That could have been very good. Mm-hmm. So, we see this push towards nationalist overtures. Very unpopular nationalist overtures. And it just, it, it, to me, it strikes me as odd that Cody took this tack when he's done such incredible heel work. His heel work in New Japan. Where he was a heel among heels. The, the Bullet Club were heels, and Cody was the bad guy of the Bullet Club story arc. Yep. <laughs> That's tremendous work and they could have done so much more with Cody if he had stepped into that role in AEW a gatekeeper gaslight gatekeep girl boss Cody yeah and I think we kind of need to dissect that character further because I think the refusal to turn is what ultimately led him to his weird mid-card role yeah it is why he's likely on a plane to Saudi Arabia right now. So, we're on to part two. The American. Aaron, I'm sorry for dominating the conversation this one. I'll let That's you fine. write an essay for next one. <laughs> I don't write essays. <laughs> I'm, I'm way too Spartan with my speech. That's fair. I Economical. No, I like using Spartan. Okay. Well... Uh, you know, next time you kick a guy down a well and then stick your dick in your shield, mate, then we'll call that Spartan too. Cat, want, want me to bring a shield? No. <laughs> so anyway, we're going to briefly have an aside to talk about the AEW audience as a whole. The AEW audience, by and large, skews younger and skews gayer. I think the younger is probably uh, to, to a degree, but like there is a perniciousness to draping yourself in the flag that is particularly heinous over the last four or five years. I guess six years at this point. Whatever. Long time. <laughs> yeah. You know, there it, it is this you have a generation of wrestling fans who have spent most of their adult lives with the United States embroiled in one or more unnecessary wars for oil, basically. Or I guess so the CIA could continue to import opium. Either that, one. That one's not a conspiracy theory, for the record. They, like, openly admit to that. Oh, yeah. Um... 
And you have this sort of this association of the flag-waving patriotism with neo-fascist politics, right? It's happening in Canada right now. The Canadian flag is becoming a object of authoritarian right-wing politics. Where the same thing with the American flag, it's the, the image that I see with the American flag isn't like, you know, men carrying the flag heroically to, like, fucking liberate the camps. But the image of the American flag is Donald Trump fucking kissing and hugging it to prove how much he loves the flag. Not America, not the Constitution, the flag. Mm-hmm. It's like a very it's 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 fucking weird. And in the middle of this, in 2020, I guess more early 2021, whatever. Yeah, it would have been 2021. Cody starts to adopt this motif of this he he ignores the omnipresent cloud the the fact that the american flag has increasingly been recognized as the symbol for hate that it has been for decades and he chooses to drape himself in that imagery as a, you know, like, I want to make sure I got this correct, but like, yeah, he chooses to drape himself in this imagery as a blonde haired, blue eyed symbol of American exceptionalism. And boy, that's a weird image to put together in 2021. Mm -hmm. And it was particularly, we'll talk about the Anthony Ogogo match in a little bit, but that's where the comparisons start to get drawn to Homelander. For those of you not familiar with Homelander, Homelander is in the comic book series and television series from Amazon. Uh, the boys, Homelander is the Superman character. Except in the ways that Superman is good, in the ways that Superman was raised to be a like, raised to be an ethical person, right? Raised to be someone who cared a paragon. Perfect. Thank you, Moki. Exactly the <laughs> word I was looking for. Superman is a paragon of what it means to be an immigrant, right? Like, at the end of the day, Superman is an immigrant to the United States. Superman is a symbol of, rather directly, 
Superman is a character created by Jews during the World War II era when Jews were at their weakest, taking an idea and a concept from the, I guess, like the, the air quotes around racial politics of, you know, fascism, the concept of the Ubermensch, and turning him into an idealized hero who fights for truth and justice, who fights for, who, who punches Nazis, right? Like, you know, Superman is everything that Homelander and in the respects that Cody is playing this character, Superman is everything that Cody and Homelander aren't. You know, Homelander is someone who views himself as the ultimate hero, but is characterized by extreme violence and apathy towards the lives of non-supers. He views himself so much superior to the average American that he fantasizes about mass murder. There's an important plot point, sorry for the boy spoilers, you should have watched it already, where Homelander lets an entire plane full of people die because he doesn't feel like flying every single one of them back and forth. So they just abandon the plane and let it crash. Spoilers over. You may return. Come back in. The spoilers are gone. <laughs> they can't hurt you anymore. It is... The way that the aesthetic that Cody has adopted, where Cody began to dress like an authoritarian symbol and tried to present himself as the top babyface in the company, it falls flat. It fails when you have this symbol of, like, all of the ways in which America has never reckoned with our deeply immoral history of eugenics, of quite quite frankly, of white supremacy. It it screams that at a time when people are becoming more aware. It's this, the summer of 2020 has just happened, right? Like, you have all of these... You have this huge mass demonstration against what the flag has come to symbolize. You know, you have... The Black Lives Matter protests were for many people, a turning point in their understanding of the United States as a force for evil in the world. And then you have Cody, who wants to be a hero, coming out with fucking an American flag cape and these gold epaulets that are so deeply reminiscent of Homelander, who is, at the time, forefront in the pop cultural zeitgeist as 
the person who wears the flag because Captain America's gone and Falcon and Winter Soldier hasn't come out yet. And it just doesn't make sense. It falls flat because of that. So we happen upon the match against Anthony Agogo. And this is where the American and the Nightmare come together to, I think, symbolize Cody's ultimate failure as a character. This was an easy slam dunk booking because everyone fucking hates England. But they fucked it up. Anthony Agogo grew up in a working class family, worked his ass off to become an Olympic boxer, then after injury had to completely reinvent himself and become a star, like a top talent in a whole other discipline. Granted, it's still combat sports, but it's a whole other discipline that he had to train himself up to reach the level where he's able to have this huge match coming with Cody. He built himself. And you see, you hear that in a little bit of the promos, even though they start to position a go-go as, fuck America, America sucks. Happening at a time where a large percentage of AEW's audience is like, yeah, fuck America, America sucks. The cops just tried to kill an old man by pushing him over and leaving him to bleed out. Like, fuck America. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. And then Cody's like, but have you heard about America? I solved racism. I'm Cody. <laughs> months. I remember that promo. Months. Months after these mass demonstrations that say racism is still alive and well in America. Racism has a death grip on the institution of the police. Racism pervades the justice system. Racism exists in every facet of American life. And Cody says, I fixed it. What the fuck did you do? You wrestled. And they expect us to treat him like he's the hero. The guy who... Like I said before, born on second base, drapes himself in the symbols of nationalism, and says, I am your hero, America. God, the, the, the gold-scale epaulets that were reminiscent of Homelander's Golden Eagle shoulder pads. Like, it, he drips with this pop culture archetype of the nationalist with a god complex. And it sits so sour for everyone in a match where Anthony Agogo says, I built myself up, bruv. It's a good wrestling match, innit? Tuesday and everything like that that British people say. <laughs> Smack barn pee wet. And so on. Etc. And it Cody sits there with this recipe for everything that the American Nightmare, the American and the Nightmare, the synthesis of these two deeply, deeply flawed character traits that make such a complex and nuanced character. And he says, no, I'm the hero. It boggles the mind that he had... 
this opportunity to take the things that people were saying, to build a character that, like, to build a character that we see as brash and entitled and absolutely certain of his own heroism, be the heel. And instead, we have a brash and entitled man who is absolutely certain of his own heroism and tells you that the, the booking tells you he is still the hero. And you see these motifs and these images that don't fit with what Cody is trying to portray. And that disconnect, ultimately, I think is what brought him further and further down the card because people weren't interested in what Cody had to say. People certainly weren't interested in his feud with QT Marshall, who, like, if we're being honest, probably shouldn't be wrestling on TV. It wasn't even Cody's feud. It was Dustin's feud. That's what gets me angry about he it. He got so mired in this bullshit. Because he had to see himself as the hero. And it... You have this match against Anthony Agogo where you're expected to boo the man who tells you he built himself into an elite athlete in two different disciplines. You're expected to cheer for the guy who is the son of the son of a plumber. And I think... It was that match at Double or Nothing where Cody won and in doing so lost. And as he fell down the card, particularly getting mired with QT Marshall, that like killed any momentum Cody might have had. Like straight up killed it dead. Oh my god, and I didn't even talk about that. I just read something. I didn't even talk about it. How how absolutely, absolutely insane it was for Cody to expect people to cheer for him on the night he called himself the American Dream. It... I... He is not dusty in so many ways. He's missing those things that made Dusty feel real, like the true American Dream. He doesn't have... He's still... He's still very good. He's still good on the mic. He's got... He's got... Everything. Except... The realness. People loved Dusty because he felt like someone you could have grown up with. Mm-hmm. He felt like a friend. You know, like, Dusty Rhodes is, to this day, a symbol of the working man. And for Cody to take his father's name for this match is absolutely mind-boggling because it fits so little of Cody's character. It fits so little of Cody's story as a legacy. And despite not billing himself as such, 
Cody still feels that he is this American dream, the new American dream. And it comes to a head for me, at least, like, I think, you know, I, at this point, I still believed it was some sort of 4D chess maneuver, but his feud with Malachi Black, where he is getting booed nationwide, not just in the Northeast where the American flag shtick doesn't play as well, but in the South where Cody is supposed to be more popular and everything like that, he's getting booed. He's getting booed while losing to a new arrival from WWE. And I don't know. Maybe I don't like I, I don't think we should do like what ifs of what if he hadn't or what if he had in his post TNT title run. It just it I think his character and ultimately his position in the card and his negotiating position suffered. Because he refused to embrace what would have been a slam dunk heel turn. Yeah. And I, I, I emphasize this in the essay that Cody Runnels has an incredible legacy in AEW. He built that he built so much of that company. He worked so closely in talent relations and building relationships and building outreach and building the charity initiatives that the company still uses, right? Like you know, the the fact that AEW goes out of its way to include spaces and care packages for people with auditory sensitivity because of autism and stuff like that. That's that's the legacy that Cody put together. And that's what like that that Cody is a fucking hero. But Cody Rhodes Failed to understand what he was supposed to be and ultimately lost value as a premier talent in AEW. And that's why he couldn't reach an agreement. And that's why Cody is not in AEW anymore. And I close this out in saying, I wish nothing but the best for Cody, despite his choice to attend a show in Saudi Arabia. I hope he finds career success because I think the world of wrestling without Cody is worse off. I wish he had done a few things differently because I think he could have continued to be a top tier talent in AEW had the tune changed ever so slightly. Had he chosen a different key for the movement in the Cody concerto after his TNT title run. And that is, I think, the great tragedy of the way that... It's the tragedy of our American nightmare. Finn. <laughs> Very well put. <sighs> so... <laughs> Now, I, I do want to add in real quick, specifically, like, Cody and a go-go. I know we talked about it when the match happened. Where, like, a go-go was the slam dunk choice. Mm -hmm. They built him up specifically, like, 
he is legitimate. If he punches you, you are out. This is what he's done his entire life. And then Cody took three shots. And then still one. Two in the stomach that caused Austin Gunn to start bleeding internally via kayfabe. And one to the jaw that should have knocked him out and did the following week on Dynamite. It, so, yeah. It was improperly booked. Yeah. Aaron? I was reminded of it, so I had to bring that out again. <laughs> I appreciate you bringing that up again. It's 9.30. It is 9.30. I just talked for a very long time. <laughs> yes, you did. But, like, I've been having a lot of fun writing again. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, that was like, a very interesting essay. I I definitely I'm gonna wanna if we can I'm gonna want like I obviously I could just podcast or or whatever. What am I doing? I am gonna want to review what I said though, because I I think I added I took in a lot of ways I took things that I said in one sentence in this essay, which like I said, is something like 1,200 words. Yeah. And I elaborated and expanded, and I probably just spat out about, like, 3,000 words on Cody. <laughs> I believe it. Which I think could be a thing worth publishing at some point. Taco is here, by the way. Everyone Hello, say Taco. hi, Taco. How are you doing? He says, Mommy, what the fuck is that on your nose? <laughs> no, actually, he says, I'm here to shock you with static electricity while you bet me. Oh, I love that. Um, did we want to talk about anything from Rampage tonight? Um, Adam Cole versus Ten was amazing. Yes. The face of the Revolution ladder match is going to be Hosses. Mm -hmm. I'm excited. It's Wardlow. Hobbs. Yep. Powerhouse Wardlow. Will Hobbs. Um, Keith Lee. Mound Bearcat Edition. No, the good edition. <laughs> yeah, like. Amazing. I love it. I, I want to see it so bad. Um. There was a women's match. It was genuinely two, two minutes. minutes and five seconds. Yeah, because they have it was a timer up for it. Serena <laughs> Deeb's five-minute challenge. And oh. she won the match with two minutes and 55 seconds left on the clock. <laughs> Look at him. And they brought in a knife pervert. Oh yeah, there's a knife pivot. Greg's not a, not uh, New Zealand, though. No, Greg did call him a knife pervert. He did. But... It was great. Bit of a knife Aside pervert. from that, the really big thing that I'm taking away from this week was Mox and Danielson. Yes. Where Danielson has matched with Lee Moriarty. Oh, God, it what was, a match. It was as good as you can imagine. I'm like, so glad that we got to see Lee Moriarty put 
put himself out there in a way that he hasn't had an opportunity to. I guess the, like, he had that match with, um, what do you have the match with? Did he have a match with Suzuki? No, he had it with Dante. It was him and Matt Seidel versus Dante and Leo Rush. He's, have, he's had some good matches, though. Just Oh, yeah, he has. They, ha they haven't got as much attention, though, and he hasn't been the focus. Right. He's, he's definitely had really good matches. Oh, yeah. But for him to have this match with Danielson where he is the focus and where he's just allowed to let loose, mm -hmm. they made each other look amazing. It really, it, like, it speaks to why Lee Moriarty is so highly regarded in the indies, why Lee Moriarty was the, um, whatchamacallit, uh, the, 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 uh, Independent wrestling champion. There we go. Yeah. I got there eventually. It, why, why he? he... No, I've been talking a lot. You can <laughs> Why he was featured so heavily through the Masked Wrestler, mm -hmm. which you know, if Cat will remember, I freaked the hell out when Lee Moriarty came out for his match against Warhorse because mm -hmm. that's when they revealed that he had won it, and. That was when they revealed that Aaron guessed like eighty something percent of the first season of The Masked Wrestler. I I've missed two episodes of this season, and I'm not doing as well. <laughs> I didn't watch near as much independent wrestling last year. Yeah. Um, for the record, under the wrestling tag on Twitter, um, knife pervert is trending. <laughs> Nice, nice, that's good, that's good. So, going back real quick to finish my thought here. Uh, weeks prior, Danielson had called out Mox like, we could have had a match, but I think we'd work better as a tag team, as like, heads of a stable for the young technical wrestlers that are in this company. And I said, mm -hmm. yes, I would like all of the above, please. So, he called out Mox again, like, I need an answer to this. And Mox told him, I'm not saying no, but I'm not saying yes. We have to fight before I'll think about joining you as a stable. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, oh, that's a good response. <laughs> and it makes so much sense, especially in like the short term wrestling fan memory in AEW with him and Eddie. Mm hmm. Specifically, where they had their big match before they came together. Right, they had what I consider to be the promo of the year in 2020. Oh, yeah. Where Eddie, in uh, particularly, God, the blocking in that promo, like in terms of the cinematography, Eddie looming yeah. over Mox's shoulder, acting as the devil on his shoulder, saying, You're not good enough, hold that title. And then yeah. that match where they had to, they fought so hard. And then they grew to know each other better through their fists like it was fucking G Gundam. Yep. <laughs> That's how Mox operates. Mox operates on G Gundam rules. 
You become best friends with someone after you bleed with them because you can learn about their soul through their fighting. Yeah. And it's one of those reasons, like, I'm so glad he did take the time to go to rehab at the end of last year. Yeah. To where he is in such a good place where... And such good shape. Yeah, like, I don't doubt this would have been amazing last year. It's probably going to be more so than that now. Yeah. All right, Aaron, do you have a recommendation this week? Uh, yeah, actually, you inspired me during your promo. So I actually went and found Dusty Rhodes versus Ric Flair from the NWA in 1986. Nice! <laughs> I'm you gonna know, that, go. That seems like the the perfect send off for this week. Yeah, it does. Um, I'm gonna go switch to Rye. I'm on a sour. Yeah, you're on a light beer. <laughs> eh. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go drink now. some fucking rye whiskey. <laughs> Just gonna slug it back like a fucking Winona Earp character. <laughs> and then we can watch something together. I don't know. Emma should be getting home soon. Yep. Yeah. We put the NWA on <laughs> from 1986. Okay. But first, you have to tell me how cute I am. You freaking adorable tonight. Thank you. With that, I shall bid everyone adieu. And remind you that I am the undisputed up champion. And Erin, next weekend at Emma's birthday celebration, not only are you going down, but I'm going to make you tap again. I'm going to beat that bitch. You, ha- you your tap outitis, me, continue champion mark bark bitch i'm fucking coming for you no no good night you're everyone. the bitch Marking Out With My Girlfriend is a production of Sosa's Media. Check us out at S-O-S-E-S dot C-A. Music has been provided by Sounds Like an Earful. I have been Pro Resu Universal Power Champion for just over 24 hours. And I've already been challenged for my title. I'll admit, I wanted to celebrate first. Who wouldn't? Hell, they haven't even made the belt yet. And already, I have a challenger. Aaron, you should know. I am ready for you. See, your absolute unworthiness has me so confident that I'm taking this as an opportunity to let the world know that I am the one true pup champion. No matter how many people hound me for a challenge, no matter how dogged, I will overcome. You just happen to be the first.
next weekend at Emma's birthday celebration, I'm going to prove to you, once and for all, that this title is mine, and only mine. Don't expect me to roll over for you. This bitch is ready, and I'm going to have you begging for mercy. This is just the beginning. And hey, Aaron. Come here, girl. You're going down. He's actually a dog. I thought pup was just an acronym. This isn't a live one, so shut yes, up, crowd. <laughs> I thought pup was just an acronym here, but apparently it means Z's a dog. <laughs> and quite simply, that just means I'm going to have to beat a bitch.